0: If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor
1: A shout out to our coffee team. I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed this, I just noticed this for the very first time today, that we have hot chocolate. Did you guys know that? That's amazing. So can we thank these guys for going above and beyond? <laughs> above and beyond. Some of you are like, yeah, but I asked for a latte, and they said no. But, um, when you're younger, you you hear this um, this this motivational statement that you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You guys remember that? You guys ever hear that? Uh, Until you realize it's not true, and um, it's encouraging. Uh, And I realized that at eight years old, because um, in school, um, I noticed that the people who got honored, those who got medals, uh, were the fastest kids. Like There would be these races when you're in elementary school, like field day, I think they called it and you would get a medal. And I was like, I want a, I want a medal because they're, they're going to honor you for running fast, not for just, you know, not running fast. So, but then I realized, so I was like, okay, I want to be the fastest kid in my school so I could be honored. And I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the slowest, uh, but I, I definitely wasn't the fastest. And then I was like, okay, well, I've got to figure something else out. And so I thought, well, if I can't be the fastest kid in my school, I know what I'll do. I'll be a second baseman for the Cardinals. And so I mean, how hard can that be? I mean, it's not like it's you know, it's second base. And um, and I did okay, I did I did, was better at, at baseball and um, but that was about eleven years old. That's when I gave up on that one. So that's when I realized, okay, this is not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. And then but but then then high school's approaching, and we all know that if you're gonna be honored. In high school, you have to have some ability that makes you honored, You'd like you to be noticed, right? And so really, that's being on a sports team. We, we, we honor the athletes in high school. There's a few exceptions. If you're really good looking, we'll give you an exception. Um, or if you're really, really funny, like the class clown, you just kind of light yourself on fire, that kind of person, then, then we'll, we'll, we'll accept you. We'll give you some honor for, for that. Um, knowing you won't live long so you might as well have it now and then the other person is is uh the like the party animal like that person they they get the but everyone but every, for the most of us we have to excel at a sport or something like that to be to be to be honored and so i was like okay basketball i'm gonna, i think i can do basketball I, you know i had a pretty you know pretty decent shot and so i did okay in freshman team and you know jv and sophomore and then we went to i my we moved to St. Louis and which is a really big high school and and i was i practiced with the with the team for 2 months the worst part of practice you know when you're running a lot and, and doing all that and 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 then near the, the last day i got cut what? oh that's what, that's like that was like your cue you're like no you got to earn that you know, we don't, we don't, we don't give high fives to losers, Brian. So um, I see. See, you're proving my point. We, we, we honor those with ability and we, um, I mean, yeah, I rem- those moments are, imp- I remember that. I remember that even, I can see the guy's face because I was, remember, I wasn't the fastest kid. So I was slow. So I got cut because I was slow. Like you didn't have to say that, but he said it. He's like, I can remember his. You are too slow. You know, like you you remember it in slow motion. You are too slow, and so I was like, "Well, that's it." And then, but I I did I did end up playing golf and 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 I and I made I made the state tournament as an individual, and so they my my moment of honor was going to they they said my name over the intercom. They wanted to congratulate me, which I but that actually worked against me because. Um, kids don't think golf is cool, and so it actually like became the opposite effect. And this is before Tiger Woods. This is 1993, guys. And so like, Tiger Woods, it, it wasn't cool yet to golf. So anyway, so but it just taught me like, man, the society we honor those with ability. We honor those with ability. When you when you get asked a question, when you meet someone for the first time in St. Louis, the first question you get asked is. Where'd you go to high school? Second question is, what do you do? Where do you fit? Like, am I better than you? Or are you better than me? Like, that's really what's happening there. And uh, and and then some believe that actually the reason why we're at where we're at in society, how we've progressed, we've progressed because those we've 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 lifted up those with ability, and we've gotten rid of those with no ability. It's called natural selection, survival of the fittest. Those with a lot of ability make it, and those with who can't run fast enough, they get eaten by something faster than them. And, and so we believe that, but there's something in us, isn't there, that says it shouldn't be that way. Even though we all do it, we all value people by their ability. It's just across the board true. But there's something in us that says that they shouldn't be that way. And and um, that's what Paul's getting at here. Paul's saying, I know this is the way that I know this is the way that the world values people. We, we tend to honor people with all the ability, the special gifts. But God is, puts value on us equally and actually wants to highlight those who are the weakest among us and kind of turns that on his head. So what we're going to do today, where we're headed today, is that a, a new ministry is getting launched in our church around this idea. Uh, and, and where it started is, you know, we've talked about the broad concept of of this in our history, which is we want to serve, we want to we want to particularly minister to those who have been marginalized. And I remember a couple of years ago I did a message on this, and I remember Ellie Sanazero, who's going to help me today. She was in a we were in a staff meeting, and she kind of she 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 was stewing on something I could tell, and she's like Brian, you know Sunday was a was a great message, but you overlooked a group of people. I added the part about her saying it was a great message, but I could tell that she wanted to say that. I could tell she wanted to say it, and so I, I went ahead and added that. But the what she was saying, we, we were overlooking those uh, with with ability, with um, who have special needs. And I was like, yeah, you're right. If you, if you don't know Ellie, uh, if you if you Google Go Getter, uh, Ellie's face will come up. Like she gets after it. She gets after it. And so she got after it. So because I was like, hey, let's let's do something. And so she, she, she went to work. Ellie, I mean, she's such a go-getter. Like her and her husband, they came here six years ago. They weren't engaged yet. But uh, they wanted pre-premarital counseling, right? So most people won't even want to do premarital counseling. They wanted pre-premarital counseling. Like, can we get counseling before we get, all right, I'll have to make something up, but I guess we'll do that. And uh, so we did pre- and she, in a college, I don't know what you're doing in college, she bought a house, rehabbed the house herself. yeah. And it out to her friends, and now her and her family, they live there in this house. She's, she's that type. And, but she hasn't, she hasn't used her gifting and her ambition for herself. She hasn't done that. But what she's done, she's, she pours it in other people. She's serving you and I. She's, she serves her kids, her family. She serves our kids. She was one of our J Kids directors amongst our locations uh, and did an amazing job, but she she said, "Brian, I have to step away from this role because I have to pursue this burden that God's put in my heart." And I said, "Yeah, let's go, let's do that." And so that's been um, emerging all through through this time. And as it as we've um, as we've talked about it together, it was like you know it became. There's some events that have happened in her life that I will let her explain. It is like it just became clear that she needed to we needed to hear this from from her and so this is a bit unusual because we believe that uh, that the the primary preaching of the church comes from the elders the responsibility of the elders but there are a few times where um, it's different and that today's different and, and it's just like she's got to come up and do this and for those who don't know Ellie uh, she is a student of the word. She doesn't know it just in her head, but she knows it in her heart. There's a huge difference between knowing the word in your head and knowing it in your heart, and she's got that. Uh, uh, we've, we've had long discussions about what she's getting ready to say, and just I'm so excited for you to hear this. It's great. She's going to be one of our communicators at Deeply Rooted. So those going to, women going Deeply Rooted, you're going to hear her again communicate, and she's going to do a fantastic job, as she will here today. Will you please welcome Ellie Sanazero as she comes and speaks to us? <laughs>
2: Thanks, Brian. Um, So like Brian said, my name is Ellie Sanizzaro, and I am just really excited to get to be here, to have this opportunity and this privilege to share with you just a little bit about how God, over the past three years, has totally changed my heart and has given me a vision for the importance of creating a church that intentionally welcomes and includes families and individuals impacted by disability. And that vision is rooted here in our passage, 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul starts this passage by saying in verse 14, the body is not made up of one member, but of many. Just one verse before that, he said, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. So we see here that God wants his church to be racially diverse. And we see that again in Revelation 7, where he describes a multitude of people worshiping him from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. God is building a church that is racially, ethnically, and linguistically diverse. God also wants his church to be socioeconomically diverse, a place where rich and poor, slave and free can come together. God loves diversity but he doesn't stop there. God wants his church to also have diversity of ability, which includes including and welcoming and celebrating people who have disabilities or special needs. So Paul has just finished here talking about all these different gifts that God gives to people in the church, and among these are listed wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. It's a long list, but it's not an exhaustive list. We know that there are even more gifts that aren't listed here that God gives to people to use for the edification of the body. And we also know that there are many other ways that people can and do serve within the church. And here he says, oh wait, each gift is represented by a different part of the body here. And if you have ever wondered, like, why do we call the church a body? It's, it's from here. We call the church a body because all these different people come together with all these different gifts, and that, that's how it works. So Paul says in verses 15 and 16, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So in the Corinthian church, there was this man-made hierarchy of gifts. People were elevating certain gifts above other ones. People in the Corinthian church believed that if you had the more spiritual gifts, like if you could speak in tongues, that you were a more important person in the church. And so the people in the church who didn't have those gifts, they had different gifts, they felt less than and they felt less than to the point where they actually questioned if they even belonged in the church at all. So Paul challenges this way of thinking in verses 17 through 20. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So here we see that with God, there's not one superstar gift that we should all be striving for. God says that we need all the different gifts working together. Each and every gift is important. And if we don't have all of these different parts, he asks, where would the body be? So the body of Christ is more whole more complete, and a more true reflection of God himself when we have diversity of ability and with that, um, diversity of gifts as well. We need preachers and teachers. We need greeters and people to make our coffee and apparently hot chocolate too. Great job, coffee team. Um, we need people to snuggle our babies and people to make sure that our bathrooms are clean. That's very important. And we also need those whose society would say, have the least to offer. Those who the world classifies as the least valuable because they have different abilities than the ones we laud. Our church needs people with special needs. Our church is not complete until these individuals are not only sitting among us, but actually co-laboring alongside us. This statement might leave you thinking, I know I've thought this, how are these people with disabilities going to contribute to our church? After all, a person who is paralyzed and uses a wheelchair might not easily be able to set up all the chairs for a Sunday morning. Or a person with an intellectual disability might not easily be able to step up here and deliver a sermon. But people with disabilities can and do serve in extremely important ways in our church. We look at people, all of us, and see limitations, and we we size people up based on what they can and can't do, but God is unlimited, which means he can use each and every person just as he want to regardless of their ability. The world looks at ability to determine worth, but God does not. A little over three years ago, my husband Scott and I received the really difficult news that our firstborn, our daughter, uh, would likely be born with a chromosomal disorder. The test, we were told, was over 99% accurate. We were told there was just a one in 500 chance of receiving a false positive. And we were completely devastated. We did feel God's purpose during this time, but we grieved the future that we had envisioned for our daughter. And we were just heartbroken that before she'd even had the opportunity to take her first breath, that the brokenness of the world had already impacted her. And so we prepared as best we could (laughs) to welcome a child with a disability into our family. And as it turns out, our testing was wrong. And Rosalie was born with 46 chromosomes instead of the 47 chromosomes we were told to expect. And I remember after she was born, just standing in my kitchen, she's in the other room, and just feeling this deep, deep sense of relief that she was normal, and that she was healthy, and that Scott and I would not have to deal with all that stuff that you have to deal with when you have a child with a disability. And there's nothing wrong with feeling gratitude for having a child who is healthy and neurotypical. But in that moment, God convicted me. He changed my heart and he showed me that I had been believing that because Rosalie was now typically developing, that she was somehow more worthy of life than she had been when we thought she had a chromosomal disorder. And he showed me that I had determined my own daughter's worth by looking at whether or not she had special needs. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit changed my heart and convicted me and revealed to me that that is not how God determines someone's worth. And God has continued to work in my heart and my husband's heart and totally flipped this upside down. This thing we were running from as fast as we could, the idea of having a child with a disability, we are now running to and pursuing through adoption. Genesis 1 tells us that God created man and woman in his image, Because we are human, we are image bearers of God, and this is where our value comes from. We do not get our value from our skills or our talents or our roles within society or the church. Our value comes from our status as image bearers, and it's not based on anything we do. It is a gift that is bestowed upon us from God through his goodwill for us because of his love. And the extent to which we can walk, talk, see, hear, cognate, communicate, or do anything else does not determine the extent to which we reflect the image of God. A baby born with 47 chromosomes bears the image of God to the same extent that a baby born with 46 chromosomes does. And a person who goes their entire life without taking a single step or uttering a single word is no less valuable in the eyes of God or to the church as a pastor who leads a congregation of 1,000. This way of thinking is countercultural, but it is biblical. Paul continues on in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. This word indispensable comes from the Greek word anankaios, which means something one cannot do without. Our church cannot thrive if it's missing any type of person, and that includes people who have disabilities. We cannot do the work we've been called to without them. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is revealing to us two temptations that we have in the church. The first one is thinking that we have nothing to offer that we have no gift to give. And the second one is thinking that we don't need anything from anyone else. But the reality is, there is not one of us in this room who is not gifted in some way for the edification of the body of Christ. And there is not one person in this room who is not needy. We all need each other, and we are all needed by each other. And there's this temptation that I have felt, and maybe you have too, to look at someone who has a disability and to think, I see how you need me, but I don't really see how I need you. And this is wrong. Those who society calls dispensable, God calls indispensable. People with disabilities are people our church simply cannot do without. 13% of the population in the United States has some sort of disability. And that statistic is growing year after year after year. We also know that over 80% of families who are impacted by disability do not come to church. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Sometimes it's because the church is inaccessible, and sometimes it's because they feel judged by the church. But another reason that I just had no idea was simply how difficult it is to get to church when you have a child who has a special need. Parents, you can think about this with me. Just the process you went through this morning to get here. Got to get your kids out of bed, wake them up, get them dressed, get them breakfast, brush their hair, brush their teeth, get the shoes on, pack everything up, get in the car, buckle the car seats. It's a really exhausting process. Now, imagine you're doing this with a child who cannot independently move their arms or their legs. All of a sudden, the process gets that much more difficult. Instead of saying, hey, wake up, and waiting for them to step out of bed, you have to physically lift them and put them into a wheelchair. And then instead of throwing them a bowl of cereal and going on to do something else, you have to feed them yourself, spoonful by spoonful by spoonful. And instead of throwing them a shirt and saying, get dressed, you have to put their arms through the armholes and their legs through the leg holes and tie their shoes for them. And instead of saying, hey, let's go to the car, You have to carry them out there and buckle them into their seat and then load up the wheelchair in the trunk. The process just got so much more difficult. And so, simply showing up to church on a Sunday morning is that much more difficult. Sometimes families don't go because they just can't find a church that is equipped to support their family. I'm from the Kirkwood area, and in the two school districts that surround our church, there are just under 2,000 students who receive services from special school district. It's a lot of kids. And in that same area, there are only two churches that have any kind of disability ministry. That's two churches and 2,000 kids. It's 1,000 kids per church. We need more like 20 or more churches doing this kind of ministry. And here in the city, between the St. Louis Public Schools and several charter schools, it's more than double. There are, according to this year's data, 4,195 students in the city receiving special services. The need is huge. One of my bridesmaids in my wedding has a son with autism. And we used to go to church together. We actually helped lead the youth group together. And she got her son's diagnosis a little bit after he turned two. And I remember after she found that out that he had autism, things just started to get harder and harder and harder for her and for her family. They had so many therapy appointments, and there was just so much mental and emotional energy spent trying to find answers for why this had happened. And eventually, church became harder. Her son was really struggling in class. He couldn't sit and listen to a lesson. And our church was small. There was not a lot of support for kids with special needs, and there weren't a lot of extra people to lend a hand. And she thought, well, maybe I can take him into the adult service. But then she wondered, would people complain that he was too distracting? And so she just started to stay home, she and her son. And it wasn't long before her husband stayed home as well. It just got too hard on their family. It was too hurtful. And I look back at this time in my life I look back at what was going on with this good, dear friend. And I have so much regret because I was walking right alongside her. She was in my wedding. I went to church with her. I saw all of this happening, but I didn't really notice that it was happening. I didn't really notice that she was slowly being cut off from the church, from the body of Christ. And when I did notice, I really didn't do, I didn't. I didn't do anything about it because I thought, well, that's just kind of what it's like when you have a kid with special needs. Like, there's just things you can't do. And I'm so ashamed that I didn't step in. But even though I didn't notice, we serve a God who does notice, and he sees what we do not see. And I am grateful that through my own pain, he has given me new lenses and placed a burden on my heart. I think back and I wonder, what if there had been a ministry? What if there had been something, some way we could have supported my friend and her family and families like hers? These families have a heavier load to bear than most. There's IEP meetings and therapy appointments and medical bills. And there's extra time needed to do simple everyday tasks and feelings of loneliness. The list just goes on and on and on. What if we could come together and make this load a little bit lighter for these families? And what if individuals with special needs could actually be connected to the church in meaningful ways? These questions became an idea, and the idea became a plan to actually launch this kind of ministry here at Jubilee. After all, we are a church that wants to help all people. All people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. All people means people of every color and nation and tribe and tongue, people rich and poor and people who have obvious abilities and people who have disabilities. We want everyone to come in to know God, to find family here on Sundays and during the week at community groups, to discover a purpose and to make a difference. And this kind of ministry can help us with this mission. So in Kirkwood, later, this, later at the end of September, we will be launching this ministry. But here at the city, Megan Crabtree, is she here? Yay, Megan's back there. Megan is amazing. And she is taking the lead on this here at the city location. And we have a vision to launch a new ministry here called J Friends. And J. friends, the vision is that throughout all of St. Louis and beyond, when people hear Jubilee Church, they would think, oh, that's a place where kids with special needs can go. That our reputation in the community would be a place that welcomes, includes, and celebrates children of all abilities. And our vision is that when a parent comes here on a Sunday morning with their child, their son who has autism, or their daughter who has Down syndrome, that they wouldn't worry, is my kid going to be Okay but that they could come in here and worship and be focused on what's happening in here, knowing with confidence that their child is receiving all of the support they need in the classroom to thrive. And so we're training a team of buddies to offer the kind of one-on-one support needed by so many kids. And because we'll be welcoming these children into our church, we, all of us, will have the opportunity to also minister to their families on a Sunday morning. As we prepared to build and launch this ministry, we conducted a survey of families who have children with special needs. And across the board, parents consistently indicated that they feel lonely, isolated, exhausted, judged, and even ostracized from the church. These parents have a heavy load, and we are called to bear some of that for them. So maybe on a Sunday morning, this means just intentionally seeking them out, starting a conversation and listening and not being offended, being understanding if they snap at us because we have no idea what has already gone on that morning. Or maybe this means seeking them out and inviting them to come over, to come into your home and asking, how can I make it as easy as possible for your family to enjoy your time in our house? Those are things we can do on Sunday morning, but we don't want to just stop there. Divorce rates are about twice as high for couples who have a child with special needs. And if you think about it, so many of these children require specialized care. So it can be extremely difficult to find a babysitter, to find any kind of child care. So these parents oftentimes go years without ever having a single, kid-free date night out. And we know that that can take a toll on a marriage. So we want to practically support these families by offering respite nights. These will happen every other month out in Kirkwood and maybe eventually here too. And what will happen is parents can come, they can drop off their child who has disabilities, they can drop off the siblings, and the kids will have an awesome, fun-filled night. And the parents can leave without their kids, and they can go have a well-deserved, kid-free night out. And our hope is that through JFriends, these families would experience the love of Christ, that those who have not been brought in could be brought into our church. Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. But if one member is honored, we all rejoice together. We cannot wait to rejoice with these families and individuals who we hope and expect to be impacted by J friends. And I'm so challenged and encouraged by the words of Jesus in Luke 14. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Culture teaches us that if you surround yourself with the popular, the powerful, and the gifted, that's, that's how you'll be blessed. But Jesus teaches us to get outside of our comfort zones and to invite those in who can't return the favor because that is where true blessing is. So I am so excited that God is moving our church in this direction, and I hope you will join me in welcoming these families and individuals into our church.
1: You know, as I... As we've talked about this uh, for the past couple months, Ellie and I, knowing what what was coming, and even this morning listening to this, I just thinking about like what would happen if we really took this seriously. I I mean, I could tell by the applause we're connecting with it, but to take it seriously, I think about what would what it would mean for us as individuals. Um, You know, leading, being a pastor for fifteen years, something. There's a lot of sick. uh, souls. There's a lot of people who just who feel weary. And, uh, and the reason why they feel weary and the reason why we feel weary is that we are looking for something to validate us. We're looking for something to say that we're okay. And to really believe that God has made every single one of us in his image. Every single one of us is meant to image, some, represent something of, of who God is. That God has bestowed that kind of value on us but yet we are still look for validation in a, in a job, in a relationship, in something else to say that we're worth something. We'll, how that affect just even how we are and how we interact and the kind of people we are, I, th- I think it would it would heal a lot of sick hearts, a lot of sick souls, and, and God would want to bring uh, just encouragement to us. Just like, yeah, I wanna take a hold of this core truth that he has made, all of us valuable. I'm not valued because of what someone says. I'm not valued because of what I'm valued for this or that or because I make a lot of money or don't make a lot. I'm valued because I'm, I'm an image bearer of God. How that would transform us. How it would transform how we see other people. I mean, I think very clearly through the words of Paul and, and, and Ellie so wonderfully bringing those to us, that man, we, may it never be that we would be the kind of people who would look at someone else and diminish their value I just want to even say that there's a lot of ways that we could apply this. One of the things that I think would make a difference is even how we see each other, how we would participate or not participate in something like a community group. We'd often think like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really need other people in my life. Paul, in what was being said today, just totally cuts against that and says, no, no, you do need other people. Even the, and the people that you don't think that you need, those are the people that you really need. Um, this ministry coming to us isn't happening because Ellie is amazing or Megan's amazing. They are amazing. Thank God for them. Thank God for their gifts. But the reason why this is happening isn't because they saw something. It's because God saw something. And, and we are a community of people who, who can all hear God. We believe that. We can all hear God. And what God is speaking, He doesn't give it, He doesn't direct all of His voice to one or two people. He directs them to all of us. And God may want to use you to minister to someone else, and God is going to use other people to minister to you. And it's probably going to come from unexpected places. So it's not just going to transform this ministry directly, but if we really take this on and we begin to, to live this out, we're, we're, going to, we're going to treat each other differently, we're going to view everything that we do differently. And then I think about the impact on our communities. I think about the impact on our high schools. I think about the impact in our workplaces, in our community. I think I think the world knows deep down in places they don't always want to admit, but they know that the way the world should work is not survival of the fittest. We all know deep down that everyone has intrinsic value, and the reason why we believe that is because God put it there. He put it in every single one of us, and they're looking. They're looking for a community to show them a different way, and I believe God would call us to be that kind of community, be that. That's what he means when he says, you are, are you are a city on a hill. That you you Don't put a lamp. Don't cover up who you are. I want you to be on display, but then he also says, don't, don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose what makes you You, you, which is what I put into you, which is not something we don't want to just be the best version of what the world has to offer. We want to be the version that God has called us to be, which is going to put the sense of value up on its head. It's going to transform us as individuals. It's going to affect how we treat each other. And it's going to be a demonstration to a world who's in desperate need to see an example just like that. Why don't we stand? I want to pray for us.